And today we have Mike Eller, our worship pastor, to speak for us. So let's welcome Mike. Well, you get me all morning, so kind of stuck with me. Good morning, everyone. Isn't it a wonder just how amazing the human brain is? Take, for example, our eyesight. What you perceive as reality at any given moment is actually a composite your brain has assembled from the last 15 seconds of visual data. See, your brain doesn't instantly make available all the information it's taking in. Rather, it, it pieces together these snapshots to produce a smoother version of what we see, an environment that is stable and controlled. If you recently tried to take a video of your surroundings while you're out walking, well, that's a little of what your vision could look like. It would be a jittery, messy, out of focus picture. But aren't we glad that these little machines, our minds, are working efficiently on our behalf and without us ever having to really think about it? I find that amazing. We are currently in a sermon series called Renewal of the Mind. The Apostle Paul, writing in Romans chapter 12, challenges us with these words, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As a result, you will be able to discern what God wills and whatever God finds good, pleasing, and complete. I've been wondering lately what he is referring to when he talks about the pattern of this world. What are these patterns and how do they keep us from doing the good, pleasing, and complete work here in this life? Pastors Amelia and Allison have been preaching the past couple weeks, giving us some helpful insights into understanding this better. And today, I want to suggest what I think is imperative if we're doing this mind work, this renewing process. Every day, our brains are being bombarded with all kinds of information. The books that we read, the shows we're watching on TV, the news that we're consuming, the observations that you make on the way to work, the conversations you're having throughout the day, all that information is being taken in. Timothy Wilson, a psychology professor at the University of Virginia, says that we are confronted with around 11 million pieces of information at any one time. 11 million. But only about 40 pieces of information is, is, is how much that our brains can actually process in that moment. 11 million to 40 pieces. Our brains have to work to be efficient instead, and they take shortcuts in order to keep us from overworking our thinking process. And the goal really is, whether you realize it or not, to keep you at the center of your universe. That's to say that you are the idol of your own life, at least as your brain is concerned. Some of you feel good about that. To maintain that, you being the idol and all, we have this system of biases which seeks to orient our world and keep it that way. You and me always at the center. And all of us have these biases, if you're breathing, your assumptions, preferences, your triggers, your fears, 
your prejudices, your blind spots. And if you feel yourself shrinking back and defensive for me to suggest that, well, that's your system already kicking in. See, it prefers to keep the status quo over change. It prefers confirmation over challenge. And like the intricate process of eyesight, all of this is happening at an unconscious or subconscious level. Unless it is brought to our attention, it largely goes unchecked. There's a Latin saying that goes, whatever is received is received according to the manner of the receiver. No one can stay truly objective. Everything is being filtered through a lens and the lens is how we were raised, our culture, our education, our life situation. And evolutionarily speaking, this isn't, hasn't been all that negative. If we trace our history back far enough, we can see that this was a vital part of living. It was a matter of life and death, those biases. We understand that our ancient ancestors were placed in situations in which they needed to make quick decisions about who was in their group and who wasn't because of the need to compete for limited resources. We also understand there was a great threat of disease as immunity to certain illnesses hadn't yet been built up. You could see how these primal instincts to quickly identify who was part of the in-group and who was from the outside can literally save a community from death. But today we don't have those same fears, do we? Those threats make no, no sense really in our modern context. We aren't competing for limited resources. We come and go from place to place all the time. Our health, our safety isn't being challenged nearly in the same way. Yet our brains continue to process out of this primitive state, putting up high walls to protect us from the threat well, whatever your mind wants to make up is a threat. Author and theologian Brian McLaren wrote a short book in which he outlines 13 biases that affect our seeing and understanding of one another. I found these to be very helpful. In his book, he says, bias makes us resist and reject messages we should accept and accept messages we should resist and reject. In short, we can't see what we can't see because our biases get in the way. We can't see what we can't see. I don't know about you, but just hearing that causes me to want to dig deeper. I'm uncomfortable with blind spots. I don't like the thought of being limited by what I can't see and what I'm largely unaware of, especially if it's affecting how I interact with people around me. It's helped me as I've been preparing for this morning just to take a look at this list and ask my own questions of which one of these I feel like I'm most prone to, and I hope you'll do the same. I'd like to look at this list together, if you'll allow me. Here's the list as McLaren explains them. The first is confirmation bias, probably the best known one. We judge new ideas based on the ease with which they fit in, if they fit in with and confirm the only standard that we have, old ideas, old information, and trusted authorities. As a result, our framing story, our belief system, or paradigm excludes whatever doesn't fit in. Complexity bias. 
Our brains prefer a simple falsehood to a complex truth. Community bias. It's almost impossible to see what our community doesn't, can't, or won't see. Complementarity bias. If you are hostile to my ideas, I'll be hostile to yours. If you're curious and respectful toward my ideas, I'll respond in kind. Competency bias. We don't know how much or little we know because we don't know how much or little others know. In other words, incompetent people assume that most other people are about as incompetent as they are. As a result, they underestimate their own incompetence and consider themselves at least of average competence. Consciousness bias. Some things simply can't be seen from where I am right now, but if I keep growing, maturing, and developing, someday I'll be able to see what is now inaccessible to me. Comfort or complacency bias. I prefer not to have my comfort disturbed. Conservative, liberal bias. I lean toward nurturing fairness and kindness or toward strictly enforcing purity, loyalty, liberty, and authority as an expression of my political identity. Confidence bias. I am attracted to confidence even if it is false. I often prefer the bold lie to the hesitant truth. Catastrophe or normalcy bias. I, remem I remember dramatic catastrophes but don't notice gradual incline or improvement. Contact bias. When I don't have intense and sustained personal contact with the other, my prejudices and false assumptions go unchallenged. Cash bias. It's hard for me to see something when my way of making a living requires me not to see it. Conspiracy bias. Under stress or shame, our brains are attracted to stories that relieve us, exonerate us, or portray us as innocent victims of malicious conspirators. That's quite a list, isn't it? Those are the 13 that McLaren outlines in his book, and it's by no means an exhaustive list, and some of these go by other names, but this is the way he lays them out, and I found them to be very helpful to me. Do some of those stand out to you? Do they trigger something in yourself? McLaren calls these unconscious internal obstacles. And can you see how if we approach our relationships, our conversations with such blinders on that they are limited from the start? We can't see what we can't see. And actually that isn't the full truth. We can't see what we can't see unless someone shows it to us. So I'm learning about the importance of doing this mind work in order to see better. In the work to affirm others to be a better listener. In the pursuit of fairness, equality, decency, kindness, and love. For having fruitful conversations with others. In the work of building authentic relationships with those that don't just look and sound like I do. All of this will require a rewiring of the mind in order to short circuit this bias system. 
And while this is the topic of the day in HR departments everywhere, this for sure is a spiritual matter first and foremost. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. When I think about what it could look like to resist destructive patterns, I think about Jesus. It's interesting the stories he told and the life that he modeled. Many times these stories were about seeing in a new way, weren't they? In fact, at times, some of the healing stories weren't so much about healing physical illnesses as they were symbolic gestures for those that were closest to Jesus who were looking on, the religious, Jesus' own family, even his own disciples. Even these kept failing to see an ultimate version of reality that Jesus was trying to teach. See, to fall into the pattern of this world is the easy part. That doesn't take work. That's the default, the natural response, even the accepted response of the day according to the customs and the laws. Jesus' vision was countercultural in that way. He showed us the importance of challenging these customs and circumventing what was the natural thing to do. He imagined a new way by visiting a woman at the well from an outside town, by sharing a story of a man seen as unclean who was left wounded on the side of the road, by exposing an acceptable list of those who should be invited to the wedding feast, by prioritizing time to have an encounter with a child, by fellowshipping with a short, wealthy tax collector who climbs a tree to be seen, by paying attention to the cast-aside neighbor, by listening to a dying thief. Jesus is modeling for us what it looks like to think and therefore to see differently, and we should follow in those footsteps. As I begin to wrap this up, I want to offer four disciplines which I believe can help us short-circuit our biases. And the first one is rest and breathe, slow down. And I'll be the first to admit that this one's for me. Uh, maybe you can claim it as well, but I'm certainly claiming it for myself. You see, most of us live in a constant state of reactivity because we're just simply too tired to do anything but react. Without rest and slowing down, we are always reacting to our world and reacting to our reactions and to the actions of others simply reacting, it's a vicious cycle. James 1.19 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And how often we get that backward, don't we? But we will have a greater capacity for this to be true in our lives if we can rest and just breathe. We know this biologically speaking, how much more our brains are capable of processing when not working from a tired state. But this is also a spiritual truth. Slowing down can ensure that our unconscious biases aren't always in the driver's seat when dealing with those around us. So rest and breathe and slow down. A second discipline I feel is important is to reflect, to do the inner work. You cannot change what you don't name, the saying goes. I think that's true. So think on this list of biases. Maybe there's others that you call to mind and target one or two of them, maybe even this week. 
the ones that stand out the most to you, the ones that you are most prone to, and call attention to it, name it, bring it to the front. I think you'll find that the more these obstacles are brought to mind, the more equipped you are to overcome them when situations present themselves. So do the inner work. It will better prepare you to communicate with understanding, kindness, respect, and love. It'd be interesting. Watch the response the next time you're confronted by someone and you don't act defensively. A lot could change in our world. A third discipline is to imagine, to envision a new reality. Jesus told stories to open up people to a new vantage point. Through imagination, we too can envision new realities beyond the narratives that were always being told. Theologian Walter Brueggemann once said, the deep places in our lives, the places of resistance and embrace, are reached only by stories, by images, metaphors, and phrases that line out the world differently apart from our fear and our hurt. I believe imagination can help bypass our implicit bias. Invest in your imagination and that of others around you. Tell stories, create new worlds, keep asking what if. Even join Megan's storytelling group if and when they start that back up in the fall. I love that what they're doing there. Maybe sometime we'll be bringing that into what we're doing in worship. We'll find that imagination can let light into those places that we all keep behind the high walls that we build up. To introduce this fourth discipline, I want to show a clip from the TV show Ted Lasso. I love this show, as you do, from your chuckle. But this is a particularly a powerful scene for me. Ted is the new soccer coach of a soccer club in England. The former owner of the club, Rupert, is a bully and has challenged Ted to a game of darts to try and humiliate him, assuming Ted is as incompetent at darts as he is as a, a soccer coach. Rupert also bullies Rebecca, his ex-wife, and Ted's new boss. So Ted is more than willing to stand up to Rupert on her behalf. Let's watch. Mate, you don't need to win. Two triple 20s and a bonus only. <laughs> Good luck. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions, you know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father, from age 10 to I was 16, we passed away. 
Vamos. I love that saying, be curious, not judgmental. Our biases show up as judgment on those around us. And the way to counter it is with curiosity. So invest in curiosity, ask questions, allow yourself to not know. And take Brian McLaren's advice to surprise people with your curiosity, kindness, and humility. I imagine that this is the way of the renewed mind to be curious, not judgmental. In closing, I want to invite the worship team to come back up. Each one of us sits on the throne of our own life according to how our brains work to orient our world. But there is a rich reward when we do the work of centering others than ourselves. It would take naming your limitations, your biases, in order to rewire your mind. In Matthew 10, 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise as serpents. This speaks to me of the mindfulness that we must have to not simply default to the pattern of the world. Be innocent as doves. This speaks of a humility that keeps us from being imprisoned to our own biases. It gives us a posture of grace rather than defensiveness when we interact with others. We can't change what we can't see. So I hope we're beginning to learn how to see. Let's pray. God of love, that we might see as you see, help us to slow down, rest up, and breathe. That we might see as you see, prompt us to do the inner work of reflection and name our limitations. That we might see as you see, inspire us to engage our imagination and that of others, so that we might envision a new reality, your reality that we might see as you see, teach us to invest in curiosity and subdue our natural tendencies towards judgment. God, help us to learn how to see. In Christ's name we pray, amen.